Why, hello again there, church congregation. It is Pastor Jake coming to you from my office here at the Parsonage. God has been treating our family well. He has so far kept us from sickness, and I've been praying that he's keeping your family as well from the sickness. Last week during Easter Sunday, we looked at our common struggles with leaning on God and trusting his plan for our lives. We looked at the life of the patriarch Jacob as our primary example, how through his entire life he struggled with who God was calling him to be and who he saw himself as. We looked at the atmosphere of deceit and betrayal that his family continually showed and that he perpetuated. Both he and his mother Rebecca used deceit to trick his older brother Esau out of what was rightfully his. How his uncle Laban, Rebecca's brother, used the same air of deceit and trickery to con Jacob into marrying Laban's oldest daughter Leah without his knowledge. It was that deceit and trickery that hurt a lot of people. It kept Jacob in fear of retaliation from Esau most of his adult life. It put Leah in a marriage where she had to learn to trust God for her identity, as her marriage never would provide her that. Leah even named her children after her evolving feelings about her marriage and her life. Today we're going to be shifting gears a little bit to look at the life of one of Jacob's sons, Joseph. The story of Joseph is probably a familiar one if you were raised in church. As I've said before, I wasn't raised in church. I came to faith in Christ while serving in the Marine Corps, and I remember the first time I really heard Joseph's story. I remember coming back from serving in Iraq during Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003, not long after that attending church services at my in-laws' church in Vermont. I don't quite remember how I got to that point point while well, we ended up there, but instead of being in the adult service as a 20-year-old war veteran, I was in the junior church watching my mother-in-law recount the story of Joseph on a flannel graph board and some flip posters. Do you remember flannel graph boards? Simple pieces of felt that were cut to shape, moved around on a standing board to illustrate a story, typically directed at children. As a young child of God at heart, it resonated with me, and I've always been a visual learner, so it was exactly what I needed to start my faith journey on the right foot. The story of Joseph is found in the first book of the Bible here in Genesis. It spans chapters 37 through 50. Here we find the story of a young dreamer who had a hard time discerning when he had said too much, a boy who was favored by his father and was despised by his brothers at first unfairly treated by his father by being given favor above all, then unfairly treated by his brothers and sold into slavery. First a slave, then a servant, falsely accused and unfairly jailed for a crime that he didn't commit, the events of the whole story boil down into Joseph's remark near the end of the entire account when speaking to his brothers. Genesis 50, verse 20, recounts this. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. When I think of the story of Joseph, I try to imagine the big picture, how one event led into another, how they each connect into their own unique ways. Hopefully by the end of this year, through the way we've been approaching the Bible in this manner, you'll glean from this perspective as well. We're going to talk about several unique connection points as we work through this today, but I want to ask you something up front to get your mental gears turning. We know that Genesis was written by Moses, right? Moses was raised in whose house? Pharaoh's. If Joseph served Pharaoh's household just three generations before Moses lived there, what version of this account was Moses taught while he was being raised there as well? 
Joseph, after all, was used by God to save the entire nation, and he was given a pretty cool official title, and he was second in charge only to Pharaoh. It means the official records would have had something about him, right? It's just some food for thought as we dive in, so let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, just for this opportunity uh, to speak your word. Lord, help me to just teach and instruct in the way that you have wanted. Lord, I ask that you continue to watch over each of the people listening to this. Help them to continue to grow because of diving into your word. Continue to protect them, to watch over them. Lord, I ask that you bless our time together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Israel had three major patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob was married to Laban's two daughters, Leah and Rachel. Those circumstances outside of his control, he married to Leah, but his heart was completely and utterly with Rachel and no one else. If being married to multiple women wasn't enough trouble, Leah, the unloved wife, had a lot of kids. Rachel, the loved wife, struggled with not having any for a very long time. Eventually, she had just two, Joseph and Benjamin. To make matters worse, she died of childbirth with Benjamin. If Jacob didn't already treat Joseph differently than the rest, after her sudden death, these two boys became all that Jacob had left of the love of his life, and he held on to them tightly, maybe too tightly. We are first introduced to Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, verse 2. So let's pick up the story there, reading on through verse 4. Chapter 37, verse 2. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Ziplah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they couldn't speak peacefully to him. Now, something we really haven't spoken of much is that Jacob had more wives than just Leah and Rachel. When Rachel realized she wasn't bearing children for her husband, she named her servant Bilhah as a surrogate. And let's just say that it caused more problems than it solved. Jacob also married Zilpah, Leah's servant. Jacob had kids with every one of his wives, but it seems that he had to really favor a couple of them above others. Like his parents before him, Jacob played favorites, and it was painfully obvious Joseph doesn't help out, as it seems that he made his situation worse. First, we see that he was in charge of his older brothers, even though he was younger than them. Second, he brings back a bad report to his father. Whether it was correct or not, it was seen by his brothers as really being a tattletale. To top it off, he received the coat of many colors. Dyed cloth was uncommon, sometimes rare, as such was given mostly to royalty, or in this case, fragments were stitched together to remind everyone of the favorite son. Good in concept, but poorly executed. The only outcome it brought was, as the Bible points out, when his brothers saw their father loved him more than all of his other brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Ouch. The situation at this point between Joseph and his brothers is tedious at best, and then, as it happens, Joseph makes it worse. So let's look at the next couple of verses, picking it up in verse 5, reading through 8. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose, and it stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. 
He, his brother said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Was it ignorance or arrogance that led Joseph to say these things to his brothers? He had to have known that they weren't happy with the situation already, right? You'd be amazed at how ignorant a young man can be. How ignorant, you ask? Well, let's just take a look at the next couple of verses and see how far this goes, picking it up in verse 9 and reading through 11. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and even eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down to ourselves and to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Joseph's dreams have now climaxed in that not only will his brothers bow down to him, but also his father and mother as well. Jacob interprets his son's dreams correctly, but without God's context. The dream just seems as visions of grandeur, and he finally rebukes his son for them. Remember the deceit that seems to run in the family line? It's how Jacob got his brother's prominence in the family. It's how we ended up married to Leah, and it's what two of his sons used to needlessly murder an entire village. Check out chapter 34 of Genesis if you want to look more into that one. Well, that deceit is about to rear its ugly head again. Jacob sends Joseph out to check up on his brothers who were pasturing his flocks at Shechem which would have been at least a two days journey from home. So Joseph sets out and finds that his brothers have traveled out a little bit further than expected. And when he gets there where they're supposed to be, he can't find them. So he asks a local, he's pointed back towards Dothan, a place with wells not far off from Shechem. So let's pick the story back up in verse 18 and read through 24. They saw him from afar off and before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer, come now. Let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, Reuben's the oldest, he rescued him out of the hands and saying, Let's not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into pit here into the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hands and to restore them to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and they threw him into a pit. The pit was empty and there was no water in it. Unchecked frustration had mounted into vengeance. That vengeance was spouting out of each of the brethren as a murderous rage. This must have been one of the instances that Paul was speaking of in the book of Ephesians when he was talking about the new men and women we are being called to in Christ. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 through 27, the NIV puts his words in this way. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Paul was speaking here about your new life as a believer and who you are called to be today in Christ. 
The similarity of the situation between Joseph and his brothers is unmistakable, as they were completely controlled by their deceitful desires. They had let the sun rest on their anger, and ultimately they had let the devil gain a foothold in their lives, just as Paul had said. Something we as believers can soberly be reminded of, to let anger fester unchecked, is to allow the devil into your life and to give him a foothold. Being a military man, the word foothold has a special meaning. The foothold is a secure place or position. In warfare, it's the place where the army sets up camp and any further progress or development comes from that one encampment. The enemy had a foothold in their hearts, and he used it. Only Reuben stood out above the crowd, stating that Joseph's life shouldn't be taken. He alone realized their course of actions and its repercussions, so he directed his brothers to toss Joseph into a dry well, fully intending to rescue him at a later point. Not long after this, while they have all sat down to lunch, a band of brothers gets to talking, and they realize simply killing Joseph wouldn't be short-sighted. Read with me, starting in verse 25. We'll read through 28. Then they sat down, and looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead, with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh, on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and we conceal his blood? So come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hands be on him, for he is our own brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened to him, and the Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up, but they lifted him up out of the pit, and they sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. So, moving from murderous motives, they turn to greed and decide that it would be better off selling Joseph. As they reasoned, Joseph would be out of their hair. His fate would no longer be their problem. Deceit is a slippery slope. Now that one problem has apparently been taken care of, another has risen. What to tell their father Jacob? So they decide to lie about Joseph's fate. First, they kill a goat. That's right. To cover their sin, a goat is sacrificed. Oh, the irony, given that Easter was last week and that Jesus was God's perfect sin sacrifice. Next, Joseph's special robe is dipped in that goat's blood and then given to their father to make it seem like a wild animal had killed him. First comes the lie, then comes the hurt. Jacob becomes inconsolable. He mourns, and even though everyone tries to comfort him, he can't be helped. Their lies to cover up their sin, were destroying the lives of those who they loved and cared about. Then would come probably the hardest part of all, living with the weight of the lie. Through the reading of the rest of this account, it's at least 15 years between this event and the next time they see Joseph, which means that every day these men would have to carry this secret. And not only did they carry it, they had to trust that their nine other brothers weren't going to say anything or point the finger at them individually. This lie eroded at the entire family. It would eat at their trust and it would eat at life itself, making everything that much harder every day from the weight that it carried. Our lies echo. Be careful to choose your words wisely as they may haunt you for years. For Joseph, life continues forward. Brought to Egypt as a slave, he is brought by Potiphar, the captain of Pharaoh's guard, to be a household slave. And I want to point out some interesting thoughts here. But first, let's read what the Bible says. Genesis chapter 39, verses 1 through 6. 
Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. He was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in the sight, and he attended him. And he made him overseer of his house, and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer of his house to all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and field. So he left everything he had in Joseph's charge. But because of him, he had no concern about anything except the food that he ate. Now we know that eventually Joseph will serve Pharaoh, as was mentioned at the beginning of the sermon. This is the part of Joseph's life that seems to move forward with God's blessings, as it seems that God is with him with everything that he does. The question that I have to ask at this point, and maybe you have wondered as well, is later in the account, it seems that Pharaoh is pretty quick to set Joseph up in charge of the nation's grain savings program. And why? Is it just the interpretation of the dreams from the jail cell later on? Or did the captain of his guard tell Pharaoh of the servant who had completely changed the way that he ran his house and for a time had gained complete favor with him? The Bible doesn't tell us, but it is quite interesting to think about. What is also interesting is what is about to follow. You see, after some success serving Potiphar, Joseph becomes the desire of Potiphar's wife. Deceit and lies rear their ugly head again. Potiphar's wife tries unsuccessfully to seduce Joseph. It seems that this has happened more than just once. Joseph stood his ground, or rather, rightly, he fled from temptation. Genesis chapter 39, verses 9 through 12, pick up in the middle of this whole ordeal. He, speaking of Potiphar, is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there, in the house she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. From Joseph's own words, Potiphar had made Joseph a level of authority in the home equal to his own. But almost 400 years before the Ten Commandments could be penned by Moses, Joseph knew right from wrong. In doing right, he is accused of wrong. It's debated here how much Potiphar believed his wife's story. It seems that by Egyptian law, Potiphar had full right to kill Joseph on the spot. Given that he was the captain of the guard, it gave him even more of a right to do so. An accusation of this magnitude would normally have been met with instant death of the accused. But instead, Joseph is sent to prison. Did Potiphar have doubts about his wife's accusations? We will never fully know the answer, but the events seem to point toward it. If you really want to have all the dots connected, try this one. When Joseph is finally released from prison and put in authority as second in command of Egypt, who would have then served under Joseph? Potiphar. Think about it. As you try to wrap your head around Joseph eventually being in charge of Potiphar, we have left Joseph in a jail cell and we need to get him out before the end of the sermon. So by doing right and telling the truth again, it lands Joseph in a pickle. Then come the words, but God. I love these words. They're probably some of my favorite in the Bible. 
verse 21 finds Joseph in the prison, and it begins with, but the Lord. His circumstances were dire, but the Lord. He was in prison, but the Lord. He had no hope, but the Lord. Let's read verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, and he showed him steadfast love, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. You know what happens next? God works through Joseph, and it isn't long until Joseph is in charge of the prison, second only to the keeper of the prison. With Joseph's life, you notice that it isn't his circumstances that define his potential. It's his relationship with his God and his consistent character. Of his family, he's the only one that doesn't use deceit to get his way. Look through his lineage. We have gone over what his parents and his grandparents did. We know what his brothers have already done and the deceit that continues. But Joseph chose a different path than all of his other family members. And his story stands as a testament to the character that he possessed. The only mention of deceit that is from Joseph is in testing his brothers, but not for personal gain, but to see if they have changed their ways and learned from their mistakes. The true insight to his character comes near the end of his life when his reunited family again is fearing retribution from him just after their father passes. It is here in these final words of Joseph that we see the depth of his understanding. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 50, verses 17 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. His brothers had also come and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you... You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring about that many people should be kept alive, as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. Thus he comforted them, and he spoke kindly to them. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Greater words of true insight and perspective of the big picture. Over and over again, men keep doing evil things, but God somehow, in his great kindness, keeps turning them for good. Take this one example into consideration. At the beginning of the sermon, I mentioned Leah. She had been thrust into a loveless marriage by her father Laban, who meant evil towards Jacob. Leah had grown to learn that it was God alone that satisfies. It was in naming her final son that she says these words in Genesis 29:35. This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. The kingly line that eventually saw King David and then ultimately saw Jesus came through, you guessed it, Judah, the last son of the woman given to Jacob to spite him from her father. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. The continual story of our God is that he can use any circumstance to turn things towards him. But it helps if we do our part. Joseph broke the family cycle of lying and deceit. He changed his line for the better. What is it that you are struggling with today that you need to hand over to God? What is it today that your entire family line has struggled with for generations that seem impossible to get rid of? Give it to God 
and let him change what you have always considered unchangeable. I want to leave you with the reminder of Ephesians chapter 4 that we read earlier. You were taught with regard of your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each one of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. To choose to follow Christ is to choose to let him change what you once thought unchangeable. Let him start the change in you today. Father, I again thank you so much for this opportunity to speak. Lord, help my words to be honest and true. Lord, I ask that you help those who hear this to allow you to begin changing them today, whether they've already accepted you as Lord and you've brought them into eternity in your kingdom, or if they don't know you at all. Lord, help them to learn that you are a God who changes the unchangeable because you can do anything. So, Father, I ask that you continue to build the trust of those who hear this message. In Jesus' name, amen.